Welcome to the season two finale of the Remembering Ethan podcast. I'm Chris Tafoya. My guest today is Jeff Jaus. Jeff is a drummer in the Phoenix music scene, and he's another one of those musicians that I didn't get a chance to know personally when I was living in Arizona. So this was our first conversation and one that I really enjoyed. Before talking, I remembered that I had seen him perform with his band Easton Ash around the year 2005. And during our conversation, another memory came back to me of watching him perform with Ethan and my good friend Randy Cavanaugh. I could tell during our conversation that Jeff is a great guy and someone who admires Ethan very much. They did perform together for a little while in Jeff's band Easton Ash. And they did a few uh, acoustic gigs together as well. But even though they didn't have a long-standing group together, Ethan was a huge influence on his life. And it's very interesting hearing exactly how Ethan helped him to stay on his path to follow his passion for music. Jeff was gracious enough to give us some time to talk about his experience of knowing Ethan. So here's our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Jeff Jouse, thanks for being here tonight. Thank you for having me. Right on, man. You know, the first thing I want to say to you is when my buddy Randy and I used to perform at Dos Gringos Trailer Park, the manager there told us one night, oh, Easton Ash is going to be playing this night. Can you guys, uh, do you mind if we have them play and then you can do the next one? And we were, because you know how it is when you've got like a residency somewhere, you're happy to have a night off to be able to drink and whatever. (laughs) So we uh, kicked back and watched you guys. And I tell you what, dude, I was so impressed. I told Matt the same thing. You guys were just really, really good. And the thing I've heard about you is you pretty much have jammed with everybody you know, that you're one of those guys that jams around. So what are you up to nowadays with, and you're a drummer, of course, but I see a bunch of guitars back there. Yeah, there's a, one from Mike Mercer, one from Matt Henderson, uh, and then the others are from my grandfather, my father, my uncle, some family members. Cool. I think the only one that I bought outright was the ukulele for Jesse. Okay. So do you play guitar at all? Just a little bit. I strum chords. I like figuring out what the chord progressions are for songs that I like. I don't really communicate uh, music, you know, with any kind of sense of theory, but uh, I just dabble a little bit with guitar and piano. Yeah, I see that piano. I mean, that, that would be, I wish I had a, piano is so is that like your your jam room your studio that you're sitting in there i finally in in my new house was able to get a room dedicated for music and making noise so i've got practice kit for myself a drum kit for the kids obviously the piano all the guitars and then uh lots and lots of hand percussion Wow, how fun, man. That's a musician's dream right there is to have your own room with all your stuff in it to play around. So from when I 
the one or the once or twice that I saw you back in 2006 to now, what what have you been up to? And what do you do creatively? Are you still still performing? Still performing. I I've, I've been playing pretty much exclusively with Jay Allen and the Uncommon Good with Jason, Brendan and Gail. And we uh, we still having a great time playing music, making jams and and getting out there. We, we've been uh, establishing a pretty good uh, following up in Prescott. So we like traveling back there every so often and catering to their itch. But uh, as of recently, I've been um, dipping it into a different kind of musical mixed genre project with a couple friends of mine. Uh, and uh, nothing for sure. Right now, we're just kind of writing songs and playing around with these ideas and arrangements that we have. But uh, it's a pretty eclectic sound. Um, I compare it to being a drummer without a drum set and it's, uh, not really cajon playing or congo or hand percussion. It's uh, it's not my original idea, but it's a very unconventional, I think, delivery system for, for percussion. That sounds really cool, man. You have to let me know when you guys uh, get something gelled. I'll, I'll be sharing it as soon as... Uh, you know, not that I'm waiting for permission. I'm just waiting for all the kinks to be worked out. Sure. But uh, I'll definitely be sharing it online for for everyone to enjoy. Cool. It's kind of fun to experiment with new ways to go with music. I saw this show, uh, and I can't remember the name of it, but the central part of the show was that he was always recording songs, and he would use, like, this part of the can and, you know, just a bunch of different weird noises and put them all together. And I thought, man, that must be fun. I've got a, uh, a pair of wooden musical spoons and I've always had an interest in w weird, you know, in the New Orleans music, which I'm a big fan of. There's a lot of washboard players with cans and, you know, reception bells that they've, kind of create a drum set vibe and, and carry this rhythm without having drums, you know, in a traditional sense. And uh, I'm trying to bring that kind of outside the box thinking because uh, this music, I think, really lends itself to it. It's really kind of an indescribable kind of variation of a lot of things that are familiar to one's ear. Very cool, man. Well, yeah, let me know when you get that going. Um, I'd be interested. And, you know, when you say, um, when you speak about um, New Orleans, a buddy of mine recommended this show called The Treme. Treme. Did you ever see that show? Yeah, I, my dad got me uh, early uh, when, when it came out. I watched the first two seasons and that, uh, nothing since. But, yeah, I, I am a fan of that show. Yeah, man. And that that got me into checking out some of that stuff, you know, online. And, you know, um, it's just really interesting. There's a whole lot going on and there's a lot of fun stuff to listen to. And I love the culture of it, you know, like the funeral processions and the pageantry of it. 
Yeah. I mean, every single musician, it seems like out there is just killer. Yeah, I, I love traveling there, but I don't know if I could move there because that's a that's a big pond you got to swim in with some big fish. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. But I, I love going there and I, and I love following on social media the musicians from that area because they are really just a league of their own. It's a, it's a different it's a different water down there. Yeah, I bet it must be. And, th and then the food, is, they're so popular for their food and stuff. And it just that that I've always been interested. That's it, always seemed interesting to me. And, and also the Pacific Northwest. Both of those places are places that I haven't been to yet and hope to go see someday. I'd like to get out there and experience those things because I've admired them from afar for a lot of years. You should. Uh, my, my wife is from Seattle or the Seattle area, and we traveled uh, back and forth uh, when her parents were, were living there. Now they live down here in Arizona. So it's been a while since we've been up there. She really wants to bring the boys, but, uh, you know, she's kind of biding her time. You know, we really don't have an honest sense of, you know, any dangers you know, being there, but, uh, you know, just moving into a new house, you know, we'll, we'll be planning a vacation there soon enough, but you, you should make a trip. The EMP, which is the Experience Music Project Museum is a must. -see. Yeah, it is. It is a good, uh, good museum of music. Cool. Well, the day will come when I make my way out there and and check it out. But I think it's cool that you're into the New Orleans stuff because you don't meet a lot of cats that are, you know. No, yeah. I, uh, I, before I was a drummer, I was a trombone player, not professionally, just all through the years of as soon as I could join band at school, I played the trombone up until my freshman year in high school. And during that time of playing trombone, I was a real big fan of movie scores. You know, John Williams was a favorite of mine. Uh, but uh, the Blues Brothers, Chicago. Um, Tower of Power. Tower of Power, yeah. And Dirty Dozen Brass Band. There was just a lot of good music with trombones that kind of, you know, got got me interested in music way before being a drummer. And I bet your experience with the trombone helps you relate to the bass player a little more than the average drummer guy would, you know? I certainly would hope so. I don't, I don't say that about myself, but uh, I, try to, I try to lock in with uh, the bass as much as possible and really kind of be a part of what they're playing, you know, add the punctuation to what they're saying uh musically sometimes i've done it better than others that's for sure but it probably depends on the bass player too a little bit <laughs> i've been fortunate enough to play to have played with a lot of amazing bass players for, for the bad rap that they may get i feel pretty blessed in that all the bass players have probably had things to teach me more than i have for them Sure. Well, speaking of amazing bass players, man, let's get into Ethan a little bit. Please. And I always, I always like to start with um, how you met him. But I, but before you tell me how you met him or when you met him, I'm curious to know if you had heard about him 
before you actually met him? I mean, did you hear about him the scene or did he? Just... If, if I heard about him, you know, I was, you know, I was fresh in the pot, you know, the pan, so to speak of, you know, music joining Easton Ash or being a part of Easton Ash. And, you know, there was kind of a sense of, you know, don't, don't mingle with the competitor. But that was, I think, as Matt had mentioned in his podcast, was more an attitude that our manager had, where it was, you know, he wanted us to look at other bands as competition for the gigs that we all are trying to get. But, you know, as our curiosity got the better of us, I know Matt and Ryan would go to these open mics that uh, Ethan and I think Todd were a part of. I, I think the first time I saw them was just as a bar fly, no introductions, but I went to see Tate at Kokomo Joe's and was blown away by the band because one, their song selection was awesome. Their execution of the songs were awesome. And uh, yeah, I just was thinking, wow, that's an awesome band. So I need to get awesome as well if I want to be on that stage as well. But uh, I think the first time that we met was after a friendship or a relationship with the other guys having been developed with Ryan and Matt, uh, they invited Ethan up to the house. And the first time that Ethan and I probably had a formal introduction was at what we called the band house, which was this house on five acres up on the hills, uh, spur cross foothills north of Cave Creek. And the whole band lived in one house, no adults, you know, it seemed like, you know, camp nowhere for musicians. We could do whatever we want, stay up as late as we want. And uh, Ethan came by uh, after a gig one night. I think they were playing nearby. We were playing in Cave Creek. I can't remember the details this many years later. But uh, Ethan came to the house and I, I know I made uh, an impression on him the first time he saw me there because he tells the story to everybody that he introduces me to that the first time he saw me, I was getting shot in the, in the butt with a BB gun. Uh, the, the, the shtick was that I, I was dared if I would take that shot for one layer of clothing per pump of the BB gun. And I, started to do the math of, I think if I get enough layers up there, it really won't matter. It's only a BB. And uh, Ethan literally walked in the door, I think as the shot was fired and uh, surely left the welt and it surely left a mark on Ethan because he burst out with his trademark laugh and, uh, and let it be known that he was there. And yeah, the good times began to roll. Wow, what a cool way to meet Ethan. But as, as you are getting shot with a BB gun, and you said they shot you right in the butt? Uh, yeah, it was, it was <laughs> right in the butt talk. And uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it left a mark, but uh, we all had a good laugh, and and I drank it off and walked it off. But yeah. Ethan, I think, you know, had a sense of comedy. You know, there was a visible enjoyment of, of what happened, and sure. immediately there was kind of a budding friendship. You know, there no longer any threats that may have been put into our minds about competitive musicians, especially at my age, I was 19, 20 at the time. Um, all of that was dispelled once I started meeting the guys, you know, people like Jay Allen, Tony King. Um, the more musicians I met, the more that I just felt I could trust them. You know, it was a very welcoming uh, community. Of musicians, even though my world was pretty small, you know, I I wouldn't say I ventured very far away from Cave Creek musically for those first few years. I was sort of in the music scene in El Paso, Texas, and there it was very competitive. You know, it was like our band's better than your band, and you know, everyone yeah. tried to one up each other, and there was this just very unhealthy competition that pitted almost pitted people against each other so the first guy i met in the scene was alan chadwick and um man almost instantly uh that kind of mind mind frame evaporated and then as i got to know ethan and i saw it was just amazing and wonderful to be in that community where everyone helped each other out and would you know sub in each guy's band and promote and you know tell everyone you got to go see these guys or whatever. And it was just a really um, positive and joyful scene to be in during those years. Yeah. And I, I won't lie, you know, being as naive as I was with my age, you know, sometimes, you know, I recall Alan Chadwick, you know, being kind of a reserved guy on, on set break and, uh, and yeah, I, I maybe didn't approach him as early as I probably could have. Uh, being that eventually we would play together with Capital Down, you know, years later. Uh, same could be said about Todd Miller. You know, I, I at first glance, I thought he was a fun, wild guy, but, you know, may, maybe a bit uh, unapproachable with my kind of buffoonery. So, you know, I would keep my distance a little bit, but even with Todd, you know, once you get to know him, you know, I, I haven't been proven otherwise yet that once you get to know somebody, yeah, you'll get the true sense of them. Oh, for sure, man. But it is interesting when you're young, especially when you admire someone who's performing well or whatnot. It, it's almost like, I don't know, for me, it's like as a kid, Metallica was so far away. I would never be able to meet those guys or Slayer or Led Zeppelin or, you know. So when I went out to Phoenix and saw these guys just, amazing musicians I thought they're as unapproachable as these other people that I loved growing up you know and then once you figure out that they're not you, you know it's it's interesting but yeah as a, young, as a young guy it was hard to approach people when you weren't sure how to suss them out I mean I was I was afraid to drink anything in most of my gigs you know eventually that fear wore off but you know I was you know nervous you know, integrating with people, you know, far more mature than me, certainly. 
And so I just try to keep my mouth shut, thinking that the more I talk, you know, the more I can put my foot in my mouth. So, you know, I'll just, I'll just be a goofy little kid and, and let the rest be the rest kind of thing. Well, that was a good tactic, dude, because a lot of, a lot of young guys don't, don't have the wherewithal to keep their mouth shut. I know, me being one of them, I mean, I remember I put my foot in, a, in my mouth plenty of times when I was a younger guy. So that was a good, well played. <laughs> Not saying I didn't, you know, alcohol always has its effects. But right. uh, for the most part, you know, I, uh, I didn't get in too much trouble. Maybe just a little. <laughs> all right well we've got to we have to talk about um the first the story that matt told me about the first time ethan came to jam with you guys as much or as little as he want but was that uh, I, well so up to that point i should mention that over the years that easton ash was playing prior to ethan joining delcoa in its own right was, you know, in my opinion, you know, a juggernaut kind of band where they had amazing musicians across the board, really good original songs and really good choices of covers executed amazingly well. Uh, at that time, my getaway from playing in bars and gigs was taking my then girlfriend to the Wrigley Mansion every Sunday to see the Del Coe show. And, you know, where our relationship grew and grew, Del Coe was the soundtrack through that entire period. And Ethan was always, you know, made a point to come to us to say, hi, thank you for coming to the show. And I would say it was more during those moments that Ethan and I's friendship and relationship grew and was galvanized. It wasn't so much on the stage up to that point. We knew each other were capable on the stage, but we'd never really played with one another. But we really got to know each other well through those months that, you know, I was, you know, trying to escape the stage by being a fan, sitting out in the crowd and enjoying some music. And uh, so, yeah, when Ethan was asked, you know, I, I was part of that decision of who do we ask to join Easton Ash and, you know, looking at Ethan to carry the mantle, I was very excited because I knew what he could do and I felt I knew what he could bring to the band. Um, you know, to try, you know, not that we were any kind of slump, but you know, it's all about evolving to the next, the next thing. And uh, I knew that Ethan was going to evolve us into something, you know, special. Unfortunately, due to circumstances that I won't go into, um, the band was kind of struggling to, 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 find the next step forward as the housing, I don't want to blame anything, but you know, during the time of the housing crash, all of the full band gigs fell off the calendar. And so being set up like a business with liability insurance and commercial vehicle insurance, you know, 
the income expenditure talk at managers meetings started to get pretty daunting. And in that frustration, I exchanged some words with Ryan that uh, neither of them, neither of us were polite to each other to which that phone call from his manager uh, was received by me. And we then exchanged very friendly words. And before I could even finish putting my kit together, I just said, you know, I, I'm not going to do this. Now, I, I look back on that as being one of the biggest regrets of my career. And, uh, and in this story, I can show you, hopefully tell you how, what kind of person Ethan is. Um, but as I was walking off the stage, not even breaking down my drum set, just cymbals, stands into the car, kick drum into the passenger seat. I'm shuttling things off the stage and Ethan shows up carrying his bass, guitar slung on his back, smile on his face. He's excited to play this gig. He had been looking forward to this opportunity. And here I am, you know, choking back tears because I, I know that I am just detonating a bomb in my life right now. But uh, I just, I needed to run away from, from that frustration I felt at that moment. And uh, I left the band high and dry three hours before probably the biggest gig in Cave Creek, other than maybe a New Year's or Halloween on a weekend is the 3rd of July fireworks show. And so I'm walking out. Before I walk out, I let Matt and the sound guy know that they need to find another drummer. And then I began carrying my stuff out. They all swarmed me to try to make sense of what I was doing. But I, you know, in my very stubborn headedness, was only moving in one direction. And that was away away from there. And so I packed my stuff up, walked right past Ethan and pretty much, you know, DB Cooper myself from the Cave Creek music scene. I just jumped out of the plane and said goodbye to everybody and everything, not knowing what was going to happen next. And I certainly felt like I was falling into obscurity by doing this. Uh, you know, it took me a while after that to feel interested in playing gigs again. Uh, I joined a band that was not fulfilling. Uh, it was a Craigslist ad that I replied to for an audition. And I got the gig and was with them probably longer than I should. But in the time that I was struggling to make sense of why I was a drummer, why I was in this band, you know, kind of like early existential crisis mindset. You know, Ethan calls me up out of the blue, curious to know who I'm playing with, what I'm doing. I vent to him, you know, I'm in this band, you know, the music's kind of fun. It's, you know, heavier rock, you know, I, I kind of have flair for the metal side of things. But uh, 
I told them, you know, I'm struggling to, to make this band work. There's a lot of emotional distress between the members and I'm, I'm not having fun. And I'm really questioning being a drummer and if I should sell my gear or not. And Ethan pretty much laid it out clearly. He said, if the band's not fun, you're allowed to quit that band. And sorry. That uh, that almost felt like I, <clears throat> it was okay to leave Easton Ash. And it's okay to leave this band too. You know, obviously, I feel bad about what I did to Easton Ash. But Ethan telling me that there's no reason to dislike what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I carry that with me still. Sure. I wonder if he knew how the the weight that his words carried with people. You know, I wonder if he understood that he had a way of just telling you something and it stuck and it felt heavy, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, he also told me, uh, you know, just keep playing. You know, quit that band if they're not fun, but keep playing. Have fun and have fun doing it. He made that a point of, you know, it shouldn't be, this isn't a job. It shouldn't be work. It shouldn't be laboring. You should always have fun while playing music. And, uh, and then the last thing he told me, he said, if you're ever considering selling your drums, you can multiply the, the price that you would want for them by 100, and you still wouldn't get as much as if you kept the kit and kept playing. And so he, he pretty much got my head out of the funk. And, uh, yeah, I, I it probably took, you know, so, you know, several weeks, but a handful of weeks before I finally made amends with that band and said, please lose my number, uh, call somebody else. I'll gladly teach them my parts for your original song, but please call somebody else. Um, but I, I began just going back to the woodshed that I knew how, you know, playing along to Pantera or Dream Theater or Rush or you know, galactic, any kind of band. I've got a diverse kind of influence. So it was just, you know, get back to playing the songs that are fun to play. And uh, and Ethan assured me in that conversation, he said, if you do those three things, if you keep your drum set and if you avoid, you know, toxic bands and you have fun while you're playing, you won't have to audition for any bands. Bands will be auditioning to get you to work with that. And uh, he kind of gave me the, the confidence to, to keep going because at that point, you know, I was in a high school band that didn't play any professional gigs other than school functions. And then I'm taken right out of, you know, fifth period into a gigging band in bars 
learning songs, playing music, and really being brothers with one another. You know, feeling like I, you know, run away from that family. I was afraid that I would never find another family again. But uh, through Ethan's, you know, advice, you know, I found the will to keep playing. And uh, eventually the phone rang and it was Alan Chadwick looking for a reliable sub for Capital Down. And uh, not knowing really how I got that call, it seemed very much out of the blue at the time. Hindsight, I, I would certainly thank Ethan for probably being a part of that recommendation. But uh, yeah, I got hooked up with Capital Down and uh, kind of really started having fun again. Mike Mercer is such a character and so fun to be around. Um, Ethan really wasn't playing bass at that time with them that much, but the, their bassist, uh, Brandon Quijada, you know, it, it, it was very reassuring to me that there are other good people out there, not just good musicians, but good people. And, uh, and getting to hang with those guys was very enjoyable. And, and from that, it led into one call after another. Uh, Jay Allen was looking for a replacement drummer when Jaron Mossman, his drummer for Nameless Prophets, moved to Nashville. Jay called on me to, to kind of fill that seat. And pretty much since then, uh, Jay and I have been playing together. Uh, I got called to work with another band called Rose Colored Eyes. Uh, and then another country band called the Tommy Ash Band, who actually I was able to bring Ethan in on a gig to fill in for. We had a double header, an early gig and a later gig. And our regular bassist could only play the later one. So everybody was scratching their heads. And I thought, well, there's really only one guy that I know can get the job done. And so we called on Ethan. He accepted it. And it was, it was a memorable gig. We were playing a bunch of country songs. You know, I was kind of doing the honky-tonk kind of thing at the time and dipping my sticks into different musical genres. And, uh, yeah, it was fun playing a different style of music with Ethan. And, uh, you know, he always had this ability. And I, I had seen it as a spectator well before I experienced it. But, you know, he's a band leader, a musical director. He's calling out changes, stops, hits, holds, rests. He's, he's a human transcription of music. He's got all the info catalog in there. And uh, what was very surprising, you know, not to say that I took enjoyment, but it, was, it brought kind of a quirky smile to my face when we were playing original songs with the country band that we had no recording of to share with him prior to the gig. And so he was really leaning on me 
to call out any stops, any changes, you know, halftime, double time. And, uh, you know, it didn't make him sweat at all, but it was just interesting to see the roles reversed a little bit. I, I never would have thought in a million years that Ethan would be looking for me for any information to a song. I just never expected that to ever happen. But uh, yeah, that was a lot of fun. And uh, in that recovery time after Easton Ash, uh, Ethan called on me to, to be his you know, rhythm section compatriot for a jam session hosted by Ashley Norton at the old sale end. And uh, through Ethan, once again, you know, it was the opportunity to share the stage with musicians that were far better than me. And, you know, every, every moment with Ethan was a masterclass in music, you know, a masterclass in, you know, performance. Ethan was always engaging to the crowd that was there, no matter how big or small uh, or whatever the venue, he was engaging the crowd and drawing their attention. And he could pretty much conduct the crowd as easily as he could conduct the band, you know, and they trusted him as much as anyone I know trusted him. You know, he just kind of had that persona and that charisma to liven up a room and, you know, any kind of dangerous situation on the dance floor could always be dispelled by a quip or a remark through Ethan's mic. Um, you know, there, there was a, a wedding gig that I played with Ethan. It was kind of a ragtag, you know, thrown together. I, I wouldn't say super group, but it was, you know, individuals from all other kind of projects kind of filling in for this, this wedding gig. And it was a really nice wedding. And uh, through the whole night, we're playing all the kind of songs that will get people dancing. We, uh, I don't know if you have ever been witness or partook in one of Ethan's, uh, you know, musical tirades where he plays like 40 songs in 40 yes, minutes. Dude. Uh, yeah, and it starts with that Paul Simon tune or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it starts with Paul Where Simon. Eric Clapton, um, maybe, or late, late, next thing you know, get into my car or get out of my dreams, get yeah. into my car. And I think Footloose is in there. I mean, yeah, there's, Footloose. Countless, there's countless songs in that. So, Pointer I mean, Sisters. <laughs> yep, yeah. We killed half a set with that one performance. And we're playing all these other kind of just fun songs. And you know, what do you know? And, you know, Ethan can sing a lot. Justin Stewart was the other singer. And so they're just kind of picking songs back and forth. We courageously and amazingly make it through this gig while keeping people dancing and having a good time. But by the end of the night, most guests have left. And mind you, this is in a backyard, you know, in a neighborhood, you know, north of Paradise Valley in a nice, nice part of town. We're kind of continuing to play songs, you know, playing just for the bridal party and the father of the bride and a uh, couple of, you know, their close friends. 
Ethan, you know, asks for, you know, requests, you know, anything you guys want to hear. We've been playing things to keep you dancing, but what do you want to listen to? And I think if, if, my, if my recollection is correct, the father of the bride calls out Black Sabbath. And there was just kind of a look exchanged. And a three, four, bounce again. Oh, cool. Right into war gigs. Wow. And just playing it on the fly, unrehearsed, off of, you know, radio memory, and really did far better than we deserved, you know, given the preparation that uh, we afforded it. But it was a, I mean, it would have been a viral moment had somebody thought to have their cell phone out, but it, it was special for all of us that were there. What became even more crazy or comical was when the cops showed up because we were playing war pigs at, you know, 1130 midnight at night. The cops show up to tell us to turn it down. And without missing a beat, Ethan quickly jumps into bad boys, bad boys. What you going to do? What you going to do when they come for you? Bad boys? We join in and play for a few bars before the cop turns and smiles at us, nods and says, okay, it's time to turn the music off. And yeah, it was just, he had an act for always playing it the cool way and uh, keeping it cool. I love that story though, man, you know, and I love hearing it, uh, you know, from different points of view. And what I love about your story is you gave, you know, a little more context to what you guys were doing even before the cops showed up, you know, because that that's the part that burns in a lot of people's memories. But that's yeah. And that and that was one thing that was so fun about Ethan, too. Right. Is you could get through any tune with them. Yeah. And, and I love uh, when you mentioned earlier about how you had the opportunity to kind of lead him around. And I bet he was just as good in that role as he was as the band director. Well, like I said at the beginning, you know, I really, you know, I'm a self-taught drummer. You know, I, I took lessons for trombone through school, but after middle school, anything that I've learned has been absorbed through osmosis or self-teaching. I've had a handful of amazing mentors over the years, Ethan being one of them, um, but I've been fortunate to have been surrounded by talented guys, you know, people of all styles that were capable. Um, Ethan having that knack of knowing how to get anybody through, whether it was a drummer or a guitar player, you know, he could even remember the next verse if a singer forgot it, you know, like he was always there to lean on for information and, there were plenty of times in those sail-in jelly jams that uh, I was just eyes and ears glued to Ethan and, you know, watching him for all, all the information, you know, reading him like a chart. Uh, yeah, he was as good at following my instruction for lack of, you know, uh, a musical vocabulary to explain it to him but you know I, I would be able to say you know hits rest you know double time you know guitar solo 
know, I, I was usually doing since I'm busier with my hands and I didn't really know how to employ them using any kind of sign language or hand symbol. I would usually, it was a lot of facial expressions and lip reading, which I have to give them credit, you know, trying to read lips while playing you know, a song you're listening to. He's, uh, yeah, it's, it's undeniable how talented he was, but uh, how well he he handled it. He was capable of any kind of situation you threw at him uh, and, and stuck to landing, you know, pretty much at any time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and bass players and drummers obviously have to lock into each other pretty well, you know. Uh, what was it about his his performance on his instrument that you liked as far as, you know, from a drummer's point of view, what was it you liked about playing with them on the, on the musical level compared to other bass players? That I got to play with them and I've, and I've always had this feeling about all of the bass players I've played with. And it almost even goes as far as what basses they are playing. Um, it influences me a lot in what I'm hearing them do. Uh, for example, a bass player that I've played with playing a Rickenbacker with that kind of tone and vibe just elicits a different groove to come out of me. And that from a Warwick thumb bass to a Fender jazz bass, there's something, I don't know how to quantify it as well as you know, a more educated musician, but there is something in that flavor that I feel attuned to picking up to and like playing, feeling myself play differently for different bass, basses, even bass players. Um, Easton Ash, you know, alone had three bass players during my tenure before Ethan. And each of those bass players kind of brought out a different kind of version of me. And I was evolving as well over the years. You know, I feel like ever since I've started a career in drumming, I've always been just pretending to be a drummer and faking my way through it. Uh, and, I, and I'm gracious and humble to have made it this far. When you think of all the bass players you played with and then you put them next to Ethan, um, what was it about his particular style? Because I know it was very eclectic. I mean, he could adapt to any any different style. He, I, the thing that I was, I guess, most noticeable of in his playing was the ability to bring in other instruments from whatever source material you might be covering and cover it on the bass, whether it's some wacky guitar harmonic or some scratch sound like he wasn't just playing the bass but he was filling in all the spaces and and it just it felt full more there was more to what he was doing because there was these accent notes and it's hard it's hard to explain acutely but it, he had just a way of playing the bass that was a broader spectrum of what you were used to playing along to. Uh, just like 
widen the, the bandwidth of what you're playing along to and you'll realize that, oh yeah, he's got all this covered just in his fingers. Um, you know, it wasn't so much a tone thing for me as much as it was uh, how he was playing, you know, and, and not to mention he's left-handed upside down, but his feel for the instrument, even being backwards from what would be typical, it, it had just a, a vibe all of its own. Uh, it's, it's hard to describe, uh, certainly, other than you were, you were blessed to be a part of every kind of cool thing he did. If it was a Van Halen riff just in the middle of some other song you were playing or, or some cool pinch harmonic bend, he, he was full of cool tricks that always suited the music. They were always part of the song, but he would pull them out just left and right and they would always be surprising, bring a smile to your face. He was just, you know, very colorful while also being very, you know, foundational. He held it down as well as he sprinkled in all that kind of color accent. And I really, I really kind of got to, to observe that with the Jelly Jam because Ash was singing and playing acoustic, but it was typically Ethan on bass, me on drums, and either Randy Cavanaugh or Adam Armijo on electric guitar. And so every every Tuesday night, or Monday or Tuesday night, whatever it was, jamming at the sail in, I was going to school and just learning from Ethan and Adam or Randy, all these new songs that I didn't know up until then, or at least not, I hadn't performed. I, sh I should always say that I, I've heard most of these songs prior to having to play them, but playing them for the first time is a lot different than listening to them even several times. But uh, yeah, Ethan, Ethan never, you know, he would call out a song and I would maybe have like all the color leave my face on. I don't know that song. And Ethan's just like, it's fine. You know, he'd call out the chords to the guitar player and then it's like, you know, this rhythm. And he would strum his bass, boom, 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 set the groove for me. And he's like, just do that and follow along. And yeah, I just learned to trust him. He had this kind of wave that you could just follow, uh, you know, as easily, you know, and I guess surfing might not be that easy, but like surfing a wave, you could just get on board with what he was doing. And uh, if your eyes were, eyes and ears were, were open, then you weren't going to miss anything from him. And actually that was another bit of advice that he gave me uh, around that time was that you have two ears, two eyes, and one voice, and you should always use them in that ratio. You should be looking and listening twice as much as what you're putting out. And and I always I always held on to that as a very strong piece of advice 
not even just in music, but it's kind of one of those, you know, Victor Wooten music lesson kind of teachable moments where it's like, oh, aha, yeah, that applies to everything. Yeah, man, you mentioned that Victor Wooten book reference and, um, you know, when Ethan turned me on to that book and I read it and I remember telling him, dude, you're, you're my Michael. <laughs> he would say, I wish I was as cool as Michael, but he was, dude. I would say the same thing. And yeah. he would respond, you know, humbly, I'm not, I'm not that cool. But he was definitely a Michael for me. I have the book uh, signed by Victor Wooten when I saw him. And, uh, and yeah, there's a lot of lessons in that book that, you know, I've, I'd read it because it reminds me of everything Ethan has said at one point or another of, you know, take a break, give a rest. It's space, you know, and then you can get back to making noise. You know, there's, there's so many lessons that Ethan taught that were well before totally predate that book that when reading that, reading that book, yeah, I could have just as easily substituted the name Michael for Ethan because it was like I was reading something, a message from him. I totally relate, man. Exact same experience for me. Um, yeah, I think I even remember joking with him, you know, like, did did you ever hang out with Victor? <laughs> because, man, some of this stuff, you know. I think it hides. I think it hides somewhere in that low B string, that coolness and that composure, because yeah, Vic Wooten and uh, and Ethan certainly had that ability to apply, you know, simple lessons to mu to music and life. Yeah, that just kind of brought clarity to both of those worlds. Sure, and I want to give a quick nod to Randy Cavanaugh because I think that guy is um underrated you know he uh, i right i agree he blew me away you know Dude. yeah he, he blew me away i and he's just a funny guy yeah uh, such a great personality that once again like a cool hang cool music you know i don't care about much else if those two things are happening sure. and uh, yeah randy is very talented, you know, singing, playing, filling, you know, just following along Ethan. Like he, he's there singing into a microphone, looking over at Ethan, following, you know, changes, you know, just as quickly as I'm trying to. You know, yeah, I, I, I'll give him all the credit that's due. He's a great player. And, uh, I, and I played with him and Ethan. Him and Ethan used to have a duo at, uh, was it San Felipe's? Was it before San Felipe? At Desert County Marketplace? Uh, yeah, and I used to, you know, back then, you know, I used to take the bus there because my wife had the only car we had at work, but I would grab some percussion stuff and take the bus and then sit in beside them for a little bit and play along with Randy and Ethan a couple times and eventually a, an electric drum set made its way there that I sat in on once or twice. But uh, yeah, Ethan was always welcoming to, you know, 
to me to be on the stage with him. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, it, it never really happened with Easton Ash until many, many years later. Uh, you know, now that you're telling me that you jammed with, um, that you would sit in with Ethan and Randy at San Felipe's, a memory totally came back to me of seeing you do that with them. Because I had the, I had the, um, I was very lucky to, I knew Randy before I knew Ethan, actually. And I was lucky to be in an du acoustic duo with him for damn near 10 years. And, um, you know, he's like, he's definitely my brother from another mother. We're real tight, real close. Even to this day, we talk, you know, all the time. And um, I was playing that gig with, uh, eat with, uh, Randy for about a year but I was teaching at the time and if you remember that was Thursday nights and it was getting real yeah. rough for me on Friday mornings and this is after like six years of pulling that kind of stuff you know and I was like 33 34 kind of starting to you know not be able to stay up all night and be, be effective as a teacher the following day so I asked Ethan if he'd be if he would be interested in jamming with Randy at that gig so Every once in a while, I'd go check it out, you know, because I loved watching Randy play. I loved watching Ethan play. I loved watching Ethan hit that tambourine pedal. I was obsessed yeah. with the tambourine pedal. And I remember I showed up one time, and there was a cat there on percussion sitting in between them. And I remember thinking, oh, this is cool, man, you know. And and I didn't I, I didn't stay a long time. I didn't have, a, a, like, time to hang out and talk a whole lot. But – I'm, it must have been you because, you know, I didn't know. It very well could have been because yeah. when, when my Thursday nights, you know, before kids, you know, my, my wife was, you know, this was probably in 2009 into the winter uh, of, you know, early 2010, probably I could say, because I do remember some of those gigs being cold. But my, my wife was finishing up her graduate degree you know, taking classes till late, you know, because she worked full time and then went to school. So I would take the bus up to San Felipe's every Thursday and just play there until she would come there on her way home from work. Or if she wanted to get straight home, then she would tell me I'm on my way home and I would dip out of the gig. But yeah, Ethan was always, you know, there's a, there's a spot for you. If you come here, there's a spot for you. Just don't come here and not expect to play. You know, right. like, <laughs> and, and I, and I, at that time I was, you know, like a musical mercenary. You know, I was wanting to play. If Ethan was feeding that, that revived itch to have fun playing. And yeah, Ethan was always fun. So with an open invite, to sit in with them on Thursdays. Yeah, I was like a stray cat with nothing better to do. I just glommed on to Randy and Ethan on Thursday nights for, yeah, a few months. Very cool, man. Yeah, I bet that was fun to jam with those guys. I loved watching them play because there wasn't any other configuration of that. You know, I was either playing uh, in our band and Ethan's band together with Randy and Tony, or it was Randy and I, and we, we, Randy and I played so often that, you know, we weren't able to go see anyone else play. 
So when I that's usually the case. Yeah, that's yeah, and that's come up a lot in the in this podcast, you know. Um, and the reason why I didn't meet a lot of you guys, you know, because I was out playing all the time. And when you have a night off, it's like, okay, I can finally stay home and maybe do my dishes or something. You okay. know, it's a real special gig to go see. But um, yeah, okay, okay, so. When I first invited you to be on this uh, podcast and talk about Ethan, uh, is there anything that, you know, popped into your mind that you thought, oh, I've got to mention this or I got to mention that, that you haven't had a chance yet to, to say? Uh, well, I, I did write down a list of things that I think okay, you touched cool. on. Yeah, what um, do you got? You know, I, the fact that, you know, Ethan and Delcoa were a soundtrack to our uh, – to our relationship with me and my wife as we were dating, um, it became a no-brainer that we wanted Delcoa to perform at our wedding. And it ended up being a collective gift from the members of the band uh, to play at our wedding, mainly because they, they played our wedding song. Uh, it's a mashup that they did. It's a, it's a mashup of cover songs um, that's With or Without You, Flower Parts by Bob Schneider, uh, She Will Be Loved by Maroon 5. Uh, there's, I'm, I'm missing a few others. Oh, I think Don't Stop Believing. Um, I think Ethan would sing the, the Don't Stop Believing <laughs> lyrics. It was this crazy mashup that every Sunday at Wrigley Mansion, Jesse and I would be dancing with each other, doing sign language to each other, you know, all lovey-dovey stuff. And, uh, yeah, when it came time to choose, do we do it, you know, iPod, DJ, or band? I said, well, I really want only one song for our first dance, and there's only one way to get it. And so I, I asked, you know, Jay, you know, to ask the rest of the band. And uh, you know, thankfully they agreed. It is very memorable. You know, we have a DVD of that performance. So I've got Delcoa playing that song immortalized on DVD. Cool. Man. I can watch it and remember how great it was. But Ethan also emceed our wedding, you know, because wow. who better, who better yeah. to the crowd through a party than Ethan you know right. he he knew how to just get everybody's attention in a fun lively way and keep keep spirits lifted I mean it's hard not to have fun at a wedding but uh, Ethan certainly you know brought his aid game and you know when it came time for the band to play he killed it uh, with the rest of them you know I actually here on my desk is a picture. I'll probably send it to you on the podcast, but it's got Ethan uh, with a bunch of other in town. Most of them, yeah, no, he, he looks as best as I've ever can picture him. He looks great. I, I mean, actually, I should say he looks just as good in this picture from the Delcoa CD release party. Yeah, look at that handsome man right there, dude. Oh, which, uh, 
which that speaking of Ethan, you know, putting his trust in people, uh-huh. you know, you know, it's like he believed, you know, I, I, I don't doubt that he believed in me more than I did probably most time, but uh, he made it a point to hire me and uh, a colleague of mine at the time, Eric Schmitz, to run Lights and Sound for their CD release party, which kind of felt like an honor that he valued, you know, the behind the scenes level of things. And he made it a point to, you know, to pay out of the earnings for the benefit of the band to have somebody running lights and running sound. And, and I felt very humbled and privileged to, you know, to be paid for that kind of gig at that time. And, you know, let alone be asked in the first place to, to provide that for them. But yeah, just Ethan, if he asked if I could do something, I would never ask myself in doubt of, can I do that? Is he, oh, Ethan's a part of it, then I'm sure I can. Because either he knows I can or he's going to let me know I can. But, you know. Yeah. That's but, cool, uh, so I'm getting the sense that, I mean, you and Ethan were, were pretty close to get with each other, man. You know, every, you guys had a lot every, of love for each other. Every year he would text both me and my wife on our anniversary asking for updates regardless of if i was able to pop in and see him playing a gig you know because i did i did you know crash a few you know post my departure easton ash gigs and and i would try to see my friends as often as possible but as other guests have said and as we all know you know the sands of time you know they they keep moving and life gets different as that changes so you know people grow apart and lives tend to fork you know pathways to different ways and whereas ethan and i didn't see each other as much you know we still kept in contact via text i was always asking him if he had seen the newest star wars or if he had what he thought of the latest uh, Mastodon. We geeked out on sci-fi and metal quite a lot. So, you know, that kind of stuff was always, you know, I would see an article that said, oh, did you know that this song is written based on the Fibonacci sequence? I would send a, a link to that song to Ethan. and like, you got to check this out, you know, because he could geek out on the, on the, the nerdy stuff, you know, just as much. And that was, you know, another part of him that was amazing was how knowledgeable he was of science and how interested he was in sci-fi and Star Wars. I know we shared a love for Empire Strikes Back. You know, that, that's a bonding moment. I always refer to Lucy, his dog, as an AT-AT walker because she had the wrong <laughs> way. But yeah, yeah. I could see that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he, he and I, you know, kept a much better friendship than we did a musical career, you know, over the years. And, uh, you know, up until, uh, our anniversary in 2020, we were texting Ethan, uh, I think, you know, uh, I want to say it was 
before he got COVID. I don't really know, you know, the timeline of detailed of everything, but, you know, we were exchanging texts, you know, Jesse and I, you know, found a way into a bar that would let people in for, for the night to celebrate our anniversary. And, uh, we met some friends, mutual friends of Ethan and uh, Jesse and I, um, George Brunson, who you might know, and uh, uh, Casey from the Crown Kings. They were playing, and uh, yeah, we we snapped a picture and sent it to Ethan, and he gave us a lot of love in return and wished us well and. That was that was the last time that we exchanged communication. But uh, him reaching out to me on my anniversary speaks to the kind of person that he was through all the years. Dude, he was real good at keeping in touch with his friends, and he had so many friends and so many people that he loved. I mean, you know, I've mentioned before on other episodes what he did to you know let me know that I was on his mind and stuff and and I've heard so many stories of what he did for each of these people that I'm talking to and it's just it's just fascinating man it's amazing it's he was such a special guy yeah I don't know if I've met anyone like him he's he's like a comet that you're fortunate enough to see in your lifetime yes and he would love he would love that analogy too. <laughs> well, I I think of him every full moon. I blast Mastodon every full moon. Wow. And think of Ethan. Uh, yeah, I mean, even just recently, not yeah. I think it was the last full moon. I was kind of feeling down on myself, and uh, you know, all of my musician friends were having a wonderful weekend at Oktoberfest. And here I was doing my day job, you know, down at the convention center, which, you know, I love what I do for a living, but, you know, seeing sometimes social media shows you things that, you know, can kind of put a damper on your mood. And I feel like I missed out on that party. And, you know, I kind of started having those feelings of I'm getting pulled away from music and I'm kind of feeling down again and I wish I could talk to Ethan and I was blasting Mastodon on the way home from work just kind of venting myself you know to the ether but really to the Ethan uh, because the next day you know as serendipity would have it uh, there was a Facebook post from another fellow bass player that I know that was pretty much could have been words out of Ethan's mouth, but it was exactly what I needed to wake up and see the next day. And uh, yeah, I can't explain it, but I, I still feel like Ethan's presence has not worn off you know, at least his influence on my life. And when I think of him, you know, it can bring peace and in weird, surprising ways, you know, answers present themselves. Yes, dude. Yes. I experienced the same phenomenon, you know, with him. You know, about a year after I knew him, we were, we play, we got done playing a gig at Sugar Daddy's and he 
convinced me to go out to the desert with him and his telescope. And this is the first time that um, I found out what he knew. And, and he dropped some advice on me during, and, and what it was, was it was the, um, uh, the proceeds meteor showers every August. Yeah. And uh, I was unaware of it. And he took me out there and it was just like watching fireworks in the sky, you know, and it was just like so magical. And in the middle of all that, he just, like you were saying earlier, he just said some simple stuff to me that really, you know, stayed with me. And so I, um, every August, I take my son outside and we put a blanket down and we just lie there. And this past August, we did it. And Man, I just, I felt him so close. It was like, I know he was there, you know, I just felt, felt that way. And I teared up and I got emotional, but it wasn't like a, like a morning loss sort of feeling. It was like a, yeah, you know, he's going to be with me forever. No, it, it's more of a feeling of affirmation. It's like, it's, it's, we're all good. It's all good. You know, I, yeah, it, it it it's indescribable um, how it kind of just surprises you. But I've I was telling everybody in my family and and friends that knew Ethan that like yeah this you know I've listened to your podcast almost every other episode and I've heard you ask the question of you know if you had a chance to say one more thing to Ethan, what would it be? And I've thought long and hard about what I would say as an answer to that question. But, but uh, I, I do have a sense of like, well, I, I don't know what the last thing I would get to say to Ethan. I still feel like I'm getting to say things to Ethan, you know? And, uh, and you know, I, I like to believe that it's being heard based on what I can observe around me, you know, after the fact. So, you know, I'm, I'm not an overly religious person by any stretch, but I, you know, have a weird sense of believing that, you know, the music is still in the air and Ethan is in there with it. Sure, man. And especially, especially if you dig Victor's book, you know, it's the universe. He's part of the universe. Yes. You know, always was and always will be and that and that energy that speaks to us from that whatever that is the ether as you mentioned come you know and if we're open to it he, he comes through us yeah man I I'm you know I've never been I've never been like that mind frame of of you know spiritual or you know the universe speaks I've never been that yeah. kind of a guy but since he's passed and since, and I read Victor's second book after the music lesson and the, well, when he passed away, I read the book like the very next day because it just made me feel good, you know, cause I was hurting yeah. so much and reading it gave me comfort and, and also made me miss him a ton too. But after reading that book, I remember specifically thinking now Ethan is part of that universe that'll be talking to me when I make my music. He's still yeah. here helping me write music. It feels that yeah. way. <laughs> yes, no, it's, I, I definitely feel like there is an influence. Of, you know, the, what would Ethan do? You know, he would, he would do right. something funny, you know, and he would do it well. 
but it's like yeah you can still find those those moments of uh, oh yeah he's 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 there you know yeah man if only i lived closer to you man me and you would start a band called what would ethan do oh yeah <laughs> and just channel him and see what happens man <laughs> that would be crazy jeff i really dude you know, um, I've kept you longer than I should have, man. You know, I always shoot for about an hour, but, you know, we're going a little past hour and a half, and you've been so generous with your time, man. And I, I can really relate I can really relate to a lot of the, of the things that you're saying. It feels like we had some similar experiences um, that aren't unique just to us, you know. But, I mean, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about Ethan and, you know, share, sharing these I'm happy. I'm honestly just humbled and privileged to to be in the group of people that are invited to share their you know thoughts and stories you know about Ethan and everything surrounding him you know from street smarts to book smarts to musical smarts to whatever you know it's like everybody has observed him in a different yet similar way uh it's like this venn diagram with ethan in the middle would just be a kaleidoscope of circles you know where every there's things overlapping between many of us with ethan at the core has i just love hearing how he influenced people and how he made people feel because I know the way he made me feel was so profound, you know, and yeah. I, my life is different for no, from knowing him. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he, he really was there for me at that fork in the road when I could have just as easily walked away from drums, you know, possibly forever. Sure. And, and I'd like to believe that he knew he needed to intervene. You know, it's, it's once again, without being overly spiritual, but it's just like that your ear rings and then, you know, somebody calls you that you were thinking about or whatever. It's like those weird moments of, you know, it's like, oh, I was just thinking. Ethan always was kind of making himself pop in right at the right moment. And yeah, it's he's uh, he's always been reliable to be kind of a grounding rod of with all of external influences kind of getting in the way. You know, it's just thinking of what would the conversation between us pertain. And once I think about what I would say to Ethan, I can think about what he would say back to me, and it's it's pretty. It's pretty easy to kind of make sense of it. Um, it. I would definitely prefer to ask him in person. Um, you know, while, while watching Mastodon DVDs till four in the morning, you know, I'm gonna miss those random nights where I finished a gig and just decided on the way home I'm gonna swing by Ethan's and see if I hear music. And yeah, I've popped into many late night there late nights there and had good jam sessions. Yeah, I, I could go on and on, but uh, 
I, I thank you for inviting me. And I, I truly, uh, the pleasure was all mine to share some stories. Right on, Jeff. Thanks for accepting the invitation, man. And it, it was great talking to you. And um, I don't know, I have a feeling that we might, we just might keep in touch, man. You seem like a real cool guy. And, you know, it's Ethan's still introducing me to cool people after. Right. Yeah, man. Chris. So yeah. Cool. yeah, I mean, Matt is awesome. I got to meet Jason uh, for the first time, you know, a bandmate of yours. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be speaking to some people coming up here in the near future that I've only ever heard about, you know, either through Ethan or through their reputations precedes them, you know, some very talented musicians who, who played with them. And it's just like, this is just awesome for me to experience. So I appreciate you as well, man. And uh, you take care and thanks again. Thank you. Take care. All right, Jeff. See you soon. Well, that was a fitting conversation to end the second season of this podcast. And all of my guests so far really have opened up a very personal part of their life talking about their friendship with Ethan. And when you think about that, it's a very vulnerable thing to do. So the fact that so many people have let down their walls and shared such a personal experience with us really says a lot about... Ethan's influence on them. I've enjoyed spending these winter months with you. And as we move forward into spring and summer, I hope that life gives you some beautiful memories and awesome experiences. I'll be returning this fall with the third season of the podcast. And I hope that you will return to continue following me on this journey. I'd like to leave you today with a song that Jeff suggested from the Tommy Ash Band. Tommy Ash is a musician based out of Nashville, Tennessee, who used to perform in Phoenix. Jeff was in that band, and every once in a while, Ethan would sit in with them. And the song he suggested is called Sticks and Stones. And he shared with me that he had this song on repeat when Ethan passed away. And he said uh, that it's a song about losing a family member, and it makes... Jeff think of Ethan's influence on his life, and he feels as if though Ethan was a parent of sorts for all of the support and encouragement he gave him over the years. I hope you've enjoyed this second season of the podcast, and I look forward to returning soon for season three. Thanks for joining, and we'll see you soon. Please am